Okay, it's time to commit. 2024 is the year for prioritizing yourself. Begin your new smile journey with Byte, and you could start seeing results in just two to three weeks. Just order your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95 at Byte.com. Byte clear liners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces, plus they offer financing options, accept eligible insurance, and you could pay with your HSA, FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. And now, the list of things that you can buy at the Chicago Reader store at chicagoreader.com. Things to wear like Chicago Reader hats, t-shirts, bandanas, and face masks. Things for your daily life like the Chicago Reader camping mug, Chicago Reader tote bags, and a Chicago Reader reporter's notebook. Things for you to read like our Reader recipes, the Chicago Reader 420 Companion, our Chicago Reader Best of book series from journalists Maya Dukmasova, Mike Sula, Ben Jarofsky, and Lior Galil, the Chicago Reader coloring book, and the Chicago Reader stay home puzzle. Find the Chicago Reader store at chicagoreader.com and show your support for the nation's first free weekly news paper since 1971. Bonus time on the Ben Jarofsky Show. As I speak, it's Friday, February 9th, 2024, just two days before the Super Bowl, ladies and gentlemen. So, if we make any Super Bowl predictions on this show, we are going to look really silly when this show drops on Monday. That's all I got to say. Uh, if we're wrong, if we're right, people are like, oh, my God, these people are geniuses. Now, uh, as I always do with these uh, interviews, I tell you what's in the newspaper on this particular day. You sense what's going on in history if you're listening to this a year from now. And this also deals with the predictions. So let me just start uh, with the headline. Headline on the front page of the New York Times. Supreme Court appears set to rule that states can't disqualify Trump. Well, we talked about this at length when, uh, on a show on Thursday uh, <laughs> with Ed Mullen, uh, election law lawyer. And uh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, there's no, th- listen, the Supremes are not going to kick Trump off the ballot. And it's one of the biggest acts of public cowardice I've seen uh, in this century. Uh, everybody knows he committed, uh, uh, it, w- it was an attempted coup. Everybody knows it was an attempted insurrection. Everybody knows he was calling up election officials throughout the country, uh, in some case, boldly saying, get rid of the votes that Biden got that put him ahead of me. In other cases, petitioning them to just like throw out huge swaths of votes and like wherever black people lived, essentially. <laughs> it was like, he, he, really, he didn't really try to conceal it. Everybody knows he did it, but they don't want to punish him. They're too cowardly, too afraid. Like, oh, like the, MAGA will be threatening them just the way MAGA threatened Nancy Pelosi and threatened Mike Pence. You know, MAGA doesn't play it. It's like a gangster movement. And so they'll threaten you. And the Supremes are going, no, no, we don't want any part of this. I There is not one Supreme Court justice, with the exception of Clarence Thomas, who uh, doesn't believe that was an insurrection. Clarence Thomas probably taught, convinced himself that it wasn't an insurrection, probably because he spent so much time listening to his wife. How about this, ladies and gentlemen? His wife, who was like very much a part of 
of a part of the insurrection. We got evidence. He didn't recuse himself. Oh, that's no conflict of interest. So no, they wimped out, or they will wimp out. It hasn't officially yet. But here's the thing. I was having a conversation with um, Brendan Schiller uh, for a podcast that dropped on Friday. And uh, Brendan Schiller, poker player, political activist, uh, prognosticator. And he said point blank uh, that he would put money if he was going to bet on this. He doesn't bet on things like this. He only bets in poker games. But he would put money on that. Neither Joe Biden nor Donald John Trump will be on the ballot in November. And that blew my little mind. That's the sound of my mind blowing. Because that means, in most likelihood, that the two candidates would be Kamala Harris and Nikki Haley. Folks, just pause. I probably, I, I know most of my listeners are lefties. And you're not fans of either Kamala Harris or Nikki, Har- uh, Nikki Haley. Put that aside. Two women of color running for president? I'm like, one way or another, it's going to be a woman president. If. Brendan Schiller is correct. And uh, he points out the age factor. Both these guys, neither of these guys are young. Neither of them, uh, Trump really doesn't take care of himself at all. Uh, and, um, you know, Biden just looks older and older by day. Many things could happen between now and then. So I tend to focus on the right now, what's going on in the universe. The Supremes uh, wimping out, uh, apparently, and about to let Donnie Trump back on the ballot, even though, again, he violated the clause in the in the Constitution that would prohibit a, a insurrectionist from running for office, from running for president. Um, but, uh, you know, it's a long time between here and now, and anything could happen. All right, without further ado, I'm going to introduce my distinguished guest, and we're going to have a conversation having absolutely nothing to do with what I just said, unless my distinguished guest wants to weigh in for one reason or another. Uh, but uh, I've been wanting to have this particular conversation for a long, long time. Uh, and so, uh, distinguished guests, introduce yourself, and then away we will go. Hi, my name is Pushkar Sharma. I'm here in the beautiful city of Chicago. It's an unseasonably warm day. I work in international human rights uh, policy and work um, organizing in the South Asian American progressive community. Yes. And this is his second appearance. Uh, on the Ben Jarofsky show. So you could say Push, uh, Pushker passed my audition and I passed his audition. We both passed because here he is again. We are now going to talk about something having nothing to do what you guys would associate, I think, if you know anything about Pushker, with Pushker. And that is about basketball. But really, Pushker, I'm going to make this point before we get started. I think that what we're about to discuss is really an analysis of human nature and human behavior. Uh, and the whole concept, well, the notion of front runner, always going for uh, a winner, and also the notion that human beings are not really human beings. They're just like clogs in a machine that you could throw around at any moment. And that you, in throwing them around and exploiting them and just telling them to pack up and leave Chicago to go somewhere else, are somehow or other, what, being a brilliant strategist. The, the, the phrase that sports writers love to use is you're playing chess. 
and the chess pieces happen to be human beings. Most of these sports writers who say this, Bushkar, I don't think they ever played chess in their life. But they're like, he's a chess player. Everybody else is playing checkers. That's what they always say. Uh, so what I'm getting at is the fact that the uh, National Basketball Association's trade deadline uh, passed uh, on Thursday at 2 p.m. Uh, and if you're going to make a trade uh, in this season to impact your chances to winning the championship, that moment has passed. And so you're pretty much stuck with the roster you have unless you uh, participate in a free market of players who are waived, not traded. Uh, and so there's much disappointment in circles throughout Chicago because the Chicago Bulls did not trade uh, some of their players. I, for the life of me, completely disagree with that notion. Uh, and I have my reasons, which I will cite in the course of this conversation. But I'll uh, I'll let you open things up, Pushkar. Um, your thoughts on whether the Bulls should have traded uh, players on their roster uh, before the uh, the deadline passed. Take it away. I'm just going to give a second to let everyone hear the sounds of what the Bulls did at the trade deadline. <laughs> and there you go, folks. <laughs> that was it. That's what they did. It's interesting to me because... Um, uh, and maybe you saw this or not, but uh, uh, Arturis Karnishvitz had a had a press briefing. I think it was yesterday too, just after the deadline. And um, it says a lot when you choose to do one of those by Zoom in this era. <laughs> to me, it's like wait, you couldn't do this in person. Like you didn't want to. You didn't want to stand in front of front of the uh, you know journalists in Chicago and take take you know take real questions. You had to do it on Zoom. Are you are you hiding from people? Like yes. So I mean it's so at that conference to answer your question, you know he was asked repeatedly like, what what is the future here? What's the plan? And he was uh, surprisingly upbeat, and he kept saying, you know, we've got more than enough to make a run to the playoffs, which is just a very interesting definition of success because the NBA has lowered the bar now, where it's no longer get into the playoffs. It's making a run at the playoffs because you've got the play-in tournament, which gives you a chance to play a couple of additional games. That, as I understand it, none of, the, none of the stats count. You don't even get it towards your you know, career point average, you know, average or whatever. But the point is that we're making a run to the playoffs. Ben. We're, not even, we're not making it to the playoffs. We're making a run at the playoffs. So, so what that tells you is this year is essentially done, right? Like we're not... We're not a competitor this year. So so the question at the trade deadline should have been, usually at the trade deadline, you're trying to compete for this year. Make a splash, do something for, for right now this season to make the team better. But what happened was uh, they did nothing. So that shows you that they didn't believe that they could really go all in to win this year, which was a pretty reasonable assumption. At the same time, they didn't make any trades, you know, to, let's say, give up valuable players, um, you know, individuals who could help other teams be, be better. Um, so they basically stood pat, which essentially tells you that they don't want to change things, that they're happy with the status quo and they're happy with an 8, or 9, or 10 seed. Now, last time I checked, you don't win a trophy 
for hanging a banner for getting into the play-in tournament and getting swept in the first round by the Milwaukee Bucks. Sorry, this year it might be the Boston Celtics. But uh, it's just a very strange purgatory that we're in, and it's very strange that they keep telling us that this is kind of where they want to be. We've got more than enough pieces to win, as you keep hearing. And Nikola Vucevic, as well as DeMar DeRozan, I believe they were quoted as saying, we've got more than enough to win. The other guy, um, Zach Levine, of course, says, I want to trade off this team. So I think you've got two really, really strong company men in Vucevic, and it appears DeRozan is, is headed that way, but it looks like he will get an extension in the offseason. Um, and then you've got great company men, Mark Eversley and, and Arturis Karnasiewicz, who are also towing the line. Billy Donovan, also a company man. So you've got a number of people that make Reinsdorf happy here, right? Um, yes, sir. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. We can do it. We can do it. We can do it. And um, and Reinsdorf likes that type of character. I don't know better than me, but it seems like um, the status quo, which, as we're discussing here, what matters most to the, the everyday fan is the status quo of uh, are we going to win? Are we going to improve this year? I mean, it's hard to expect the team to win a championship every year, but are we going to improve our chances to win a, a championship in the near-term future? That's our definition of success. But I think when we look at this, the definition of success, you know, from from Papa Papa Reinsdorf at the highest level, um, the ownership is: Are we making money on this team? And uh, now I'm going to turn this to you, Ben, because I know. Um, you know how the team is making money, um, and they're probably making some of your money. So <laughs> probably <laughs> to, to your loyal fans. Take probably out of that sentence, Pushker. Uh, all right, so much to respond to, uh, and um, uh, two points: one, the fickleness of fans, which I'll return to, uh, and then you respond when I get to that. Um, so. I, I actually uh, agree with most of your analysis. And the reality is this. There was absolutely nothing the Bulls could do in this uh, trade season that would make them better right now. Because the way the Bulls were positioned was as a team that the only trades it could realistically make were tank trades. Now, what are tank trades? Good question. Tank trades are trades that teams make when they are officially raising the white flag and saying, we have no chance of being a successful team. No matter how you measure success, if you measure success by making the play-in, if you measure success by making the playoff, uh, if you obviously, if you measure success by winning the championship, we cannot realistically achieve uh, those goals, so we're just going to throw away what we have and acquire draft choices. Now, draft choices are not individual human beings who will be playing the games. Like, there were, if Bulls were to tr deplete their lineup by trading their current players for draft choices, draft choices will not be suiting up on Saturday when they play Orlando. Draft choices are the future. <laughs> Draft choices are a way of saying to the, the, the ticket holders like Ben, 
Your season is going to be horrible from here on out. That investment of you money of money that you made at the outset of the season is a complete waste. You won't have any more exciting games like you had against Minnesota. You will have no more exciting games like you had against Sacramento, even though you lost. You'll have no more exciting games like the one where you won last night uh, in Memphis. You're just going to become a doormat. And it's going to be one dreadful, painful butt-whooping after another. For what? The possibility that some guy you get, probably a second-round pick, may be good. If you take a look at the history of second-round picks, the odds are overwhelmingly against you in getting somebody good in the second round. In fact, I'll go so far as to say you have a better chance of going to Vegas and win, winning in uh, a poker game there than you will have a chance of getting a good player with the second-round pick. So that was what they were facing, and they decided, yeah, uh, we're going to stand pat. The reality is they would make even more money if they made the trades. So I don't even think it's fair to say uh, that the Reinsdorfs didn't trade because they're cheap. If they got rid of high-priced players, there would be more money for them. If they traded... DeMar DeRozan with his big salary and Zach Levine with his big salary and Drummond and AC and all the other players that both fans want to trade, they would have more money. They'd still have my money. They just would have to pay less of it to players, keep more of it for themselves. So actually what they did was not even to their advantage uh, in terms of profits. So I have to throw that one out. And then Pushker, before I uh, turn things over to you, let me deal with the fickleness of fans. So um, fans are all over the map. I remember in 2014, see, I have a memory for these things, Pusher, because I'm such a diehard, dedicated Bulls fan. In 2014, the Bulls traded Luau Dang, who's a beloved Bull, had given his heart and soul to the team, uh, and but he was injured. And he wasn't going to play. He was going to wasn't going to help the Bulls. Or wasn't. I don't even think he was. He'd been in and out of injury. The point was the Bulls made a, uh, a decision that they wanted to clear salary space so they could go get a free agent uh, in the offseason. So they were getting rid of Luol Deng. They were doing exactly what fans were arguing they should have done yesterday. And when they did it, what was the response of fans? How could they? We love Luol Dang. He's given so much to the Bulls. I'm like, which way you want it, fans? No matter what the Bulls do, you're going to be hating on him. Now, I was hating on him legitimately because I love Luol Dang, and I wanted the Bulls to have the best possible roster to, to win anything in 2014. Uh, as it was, I can't No, they did make the playoffs. It was horrific. I think they lost in the first round of Washington, a pathetic team, terrible coaching by their coach, horrible. Just everything about it was wretched. The point is, it's they get criticized no matter what they do. They don't trade, get rid of all their players for draft choices, or they uh, get rid of their players. Fans are fickle. You'll never satisfy fans. Uh, one way or another, someone will be really upset at you. That's my response. The floor is yours. Yeah, I think my response uh, to you is, then um, is that organizations win championships. <laughs> I just, 
I mean, the fans need to, to settle down. Superstars need to settle down. We just need to trust that organizations are going to win us championships. Now, it's interesting. The organization that won six championships was the organization that had a couple of uh, incredible players. Um, one guy named Michael Jordan on that team. And, um, and it was amazing how much the organization could win when he was around. And um, I didn't want you were talking about the fans and, and their opinions and their public opinions. Given that we didn't do much with the trade deadline, it does seem that we could use this uh, opportunity to kind of look a little bit more at this year, including the Bulls Ring of Honor. And I know, <clears throat> I think I read your piece in the reader um, condemning the good people of Chicago, <laughs> sorry, the bad people of Chicago, which I think Stacey King's comment was, hey guys, this is not Philadelphia, this is not New York, show some class, which I agree with him. Um, some, some of our listeners might remember that the Bulls hosted the first time in an inaugural uh, Ring of Honor ceremony, which was something that other teams have. Essentially, it's like a internal Hall of Fame just for the organization. They did the first one this year um, on a dreary, one of those freezing cold nights in January, <laughs> negative, negative nights. And um, and they honored, I believe, the entire Ooh, now remind me on this. This is a 96 team, right? 95-96 team? That is correct. Yep. And, um, and a couple of other folks on top of that. But um, they called the 95-96 team in, and, and they honored the team. Jerry Krause, of course, passed uh, over 20 years ago now, I think. But, uh, no, no. It was only, uh, I, uh, I think it was 2017. Don't quote me, but go ahead. Maybe he's left the team that. Yes, he he's, hasn't been with the Bulls since about 2003. And, and look, I'm already um, I'm already showing my cards, trying to kill him off ten years earlier. So sorry for that. But um, what I'm trying to get at is he wasn't present for this, though he was respected. You know, he was uh, you know welcome into the Ring of Honor. Um, you know, as he wasn't present, you know, physically, maybe spiritually, he was there. But um, his, uh, his wife or his widow was welcome to uh, um, to be there in his place. And as we described um, a little bit earlier, the, the people of Chicago were booing that um, poor widow, you know, his widow, um, as a way of expressing their, um, their still lingering anger with Mr. Krause himself. Um, so this is something that, you know, he, he, I think he's most famous for saying organizations win championships, right? That's where I... That's Come around circle to yes. that. Um, but I think it, it, it shows a couple of things about the team and, and where they're going. So I think it's very interesting that they decided to do this Ring of Honor thing this year. And as I understand it, they kind of announced it sometime in the fall, maybe around the period when they were, I don't know, 5 and 13. Somewhere in there we can go back and look for the press release when they announced it. But to me, it's a classic. Uh, it's a classic uh, move uh, by by um, Mr. Reinsdorf that said, "Well, shit, they've got nothing to watch on the uh, on the court. So why don't we create this brand new thing, shiny object, and a, a ring of honor that can distract them in the middle of winter when this team's going to be terrible, uh, and and so people can look at that. Not maybe we'll take a quick aside as I describe that." Um, that approach. You have a winning team, it underperforms, 
You have to fire La Russa. Sorry, I'm going down the other side. <laughs> but the point is, with the White Sox, it's interesting. We got a brand new stadium in talks around the same time, right? Seems like a strategy he likes to use. Things that, you know, on the court or on the field, things aren't working. So, hey, fans, look at this shiny object over here for a while because nothing's going to happen. We're not winning a championship anytime soon on, on the field or on the court. So, so that's, that's uh, one thing I wanted to bring up a little bit about this Ring of Honor, about the treatment of, of Kraus, which I'm happy to discuss further in my own personal opinions about him. I would never have booed his widow. I would have happily booed, ah, happily booed him. That's maybe aggressive, but I understand lingering frustration um, for for a lot of reasons. Um, and um, and frankly, I, I'm going to put the blame on Reinsdorf here um, for setting up something like that. Um, first off, your fans, our, our list, your listeners may not know um, that that Michael Jordan and Scottie Pippen did not attend this event, even though clearly they should have been the, the focus of it. Dennis Rodman was unable to 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 attend. I think he had some flight issues, winter flights. Um, so arguably, the three biggest names of that team uh, weren't there. I mean, Phil was there. That was that was a beautiful moment. But let's say the three of them weren't there. And I, and I'm going to blame this on again Reinsdorf because you can't announce something like a Ring of Honor. Unless you've squashed the beef, <laughs> you've made sure that this Michael and Scotty are going to be there. Um, you're going to then you know that the people will be happy. <laughs> you give them what they want. You give them MJ. And if I remember correctly, it wasn't clear that he wasn't coming until the last minute. So people were probably buying tickets, probably getting pumped. MJ's going to be back in the house. It's going to be electric. We're going to applaud, right? But he he himself, as the boss that he is, told all of them. You're going to show up on this day at this time, um, and we're going to honor you rather than, you know, having MJ, uh, who no longer owns the Char- uh, the Hornets, right? He was a majority owner there. So now he's got a, the opportunity to be able to come back to the United Center unaffiliated, mostly unaffiliated with another team. But um, he didn't he didn't do that, right? He didn't, uh, you know, because, again, he's got this um, very high opinion of himself. And he felt that, you know, the boys will follow and do what they're told and show up. Honestly, if, if we look at this for a second, if you want to do the, the Ring of Honor thing correctly, you just start it with one man first. Right, right Ben? It's, it's, a, it's the Ring of Honor, and this year we're going to start with one person. Because mm-hmm. Michael Jordan Absolutely. gets his own damn night to be the first inducting him the Ring of Honor. The, the next year... You do you do something bigger. You do bigger. We got. It's unclear to me how much time they're going to milk this Ring of Honor for, Ben, because I'm not sure. It, when you start with the entire '96 team in the first go, you're running out of people to honor. <laughs> like over time here. So <laughs> I'll, I'll leave it there. All right, I have so much to respond to. Uh, first of all, uh, okay, so we'll start with I completely agree with that main point you made, that there should not have been a Ring of Honor ceremony once Michael Jordan and Scottie Pippen uh, said they were not going to attend. There's no way. Should have been called off. Either that or have a Ring of Honor ceremony and not include 95, 96 Bulls uh, and do what would be the more logical thing to do, have some kind of chronological order yeah, to the, the Ring artist of Honor. Gilmore Bob the Hux. Chicago Bulls. <laughs> cool. Yeah, 
well, there's more than that. The Chicago Bulls did just not emerge in 1996. And, you know, uh, like that was their first year. Like a lot of Bears fans must like the only year the Bears existed was 1985 when they won went to the Super Bowl. But there was a Bears team that goes back to the 20s. Okay. You know, so the Bulls, the first year was not 95. The first year was 66. You should have had a chronological uh, ceremony, chronologically arranged ceremony. Bob Love, Artis Gilmore, Norm Van Leer, Jerry Sloan. Uh, some of the could have been people at honored. You could have started with like this year. You could have done the 60s, like the Bulls right, players in the right, 60s. Right. Next year, you could have gone to the 70s or you could have split the 70s in two. You do not start with the 95 Bulls, particularly to your point, it's an excellent one, when Michael Jeffrey Jordan and Scottie Pippen say they're not going to attend. Just don't do it. Let time heal those wounds. Uh, and we could, t- I could spend an hour talking about the, the, uh, the feud right now between Scotty and Michael. <clears throat> I'm sure each of them said, I'm not going if that SOB is invited. Okay. So it's one of those deals. Ben, are um, you attending that wedding, by the way? Said, yeah, right. <laughs> okay. Michael Jeffrey Jordan's son is about to marry uh, Scottie Pippen's ex-wife. Uh, it, so now you can see why there would be a little dissension there between Jordan and Pippen. All right. Now, back to Jerry Krause. I'm going to say this uh, based on something I saw uh, on the Internet the other day. It was Steve Kerr reflecting. Steve Kerr. A uh, former great player on the ball, great shooter on the Bulls, now head coach of the uh, uh, Golden State Warriors. And he was opining. He said, in his humble opinion, the 96 Bulls would defeat his Golden State Warrior championship team of 2017. And then he listed the, the five best players on the Bulls. And he said, this team, this is a team that could play in any era. And those five players, I'm just going to run this down. Michael Jeffrey Jordan, Scottie Pippen, Dennis Rodman, Ronnie Harper, and Tony Kukoc. That is perhaps the greatest collection of all-around excellence. Shooters, defenders, rebounders, smart basketball players ever assembled. One man to put it together, Jerry Krause. I, he was insufferable in many ways. He was a flawed human being in many ways. He was his own worst enemy in many ways, but he was the greatest general manager in the history of sports and arguably one of the three greatest general managers in the history of basketball, and he should be recognized for that. And the fact that Chicagoans boo him says more about Chicagoans and the twisted view that human beings have, they're mean girls. Michael Jordan didn't like Jerry Krause, so they don't like Jerry Krause. That's it, guys. You have one guy that's cool and you want him to like you, and you have another guy who doesn't look cool, and so and the, big, the guy you like makes fun of him. So you're like a mean girl in a cafeteria. That's what you are. And you throw out any judgment. Your inability, Chicago, to state the obvious that Jerry Krause was years ahead of his time. He put together a team pusher in the 1990s that would win a championship right now. He put to, he was so far ahead of his 
time in everything like pursuing players and uh, in Europe, uh, in in putting up with Dennis Rodman, bringing Dennis Rodman was in a back then. Dennis Rodman was considered like a really flake, a weirdo. He brought Dennis Rodman on the Bulls. That's a radical move. Dennis Rodman appreciates that move, but Chicago fans don't. So I think the hatred for Jerry Krause says more about the fickleness and the weirdness of Chicagoans than it does about Jerry Krause. Well, please, please allow me, please, please, please allow me to speak for the people, the majority of whom <laughs> they outnumbered you for the cheers for Jerry when you were in the stadium that night. The booze. No, but let me say this. I'll, I'll, I'll let me give you one other piece of. Um, evidence he brought in phil he made phil there you go i'll give you that piece of the i mean there you go maybe i mean that that's a question greatest coach in the history of the game almost almost top three for sure like red auerbach or, or um popovich obviously are on that short list but phil and, and not to say anything he did after um winning six here um, but Phil himself, right? So, so Jerry Krause saw him and brought him in. And let's remind your uh, your listeners, Phil hadn't been coaching elsewhere. He hadn't been winning as a coach elsewhere, right? He found him, and he had won as a player, right, with the Knicks. But Phil um, was brought in by Krause, supported by Krause, and literally put in a position to lead the team because of Krause. So I I agree agree with you, and you made a compelling case to me about Krauss being one of, if not the greatest GM in the history of the game, I'll give you that. But let me speak for the voice of the people, which, and you know a little bit about my background in conflict resolution, peace and reconciliation, and I'll bring, I'll bring that a little bit into, into this conversation, because let's, um, let's remind everyone about Krauss, his terrible treatment of Scotty Pippen, uh, refusal to help Pippen, to give Pippen just a little bit, some of the scraps on the table in the house that he built. You know, this is, as everyone knows in the last dance, is well covered. Um, how poorly paid Pippen was. He signed a contract himself, you know, which was a conservative move on his part, essentially a long term uh, contract. Um, but he, he was not necessarily compensated by the team for the contributions that, that he made. So I think that's one piece of, uh, I'll speak for myself, um, deep disappointment that I have Kraus, Reinsdorf, and, and the organization that won those championships. Um, but also, very clearly, um, he brought Phil in, yes, but he ran Phil out. Let's remember that. He fucking ran Phil out of town. So you can create, you create and help support and build the greatest coach of all time. And if you're a great GM, you recognize he's the greatest coach of all time. Let's keep him for 25 years as Popovich has stayed in San Antonio. And as we know, Popovich has had essentially three eras of winning, right? And, and turning the corner, right? So running Phil out of town, disrespecting Scotty, and most of all, which is where I think all the boos came from, was the chance for number seven. Like, what the hell? Why, why, did, why didn't the team get a chance after they won the sixth one? I mean, Krause put a lot of pressure on the team. Bill will not be coming back. Nobody's going to be extended. Blah, 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 all this kind of crap that he put out there. But And you could argue maybe he was playing, you know, a smart a smart move, which was I'm going to put a lot of pressure on this team to win now because we need to win the sixth championship. If, if we don't have the foot on the pedal, 
where everyone doesn't feel like this is the last dance. Maybe they'll, they'll, they'll slow down a little bit. We won't win this one. The moment you win that sixth championship, you turn, you turn, you, you change your tune on everything. You say, we won six. We're going to defend this championship. Everyone's coming back and we're going to pay them. <laughs> we're going to keep everybody here and bring it back. And so I think, I think the fact that the team didn't have the chance to defend, uh, you know, go for it a seventh time, which I'm not sure they would have won. Although, I mean, it was a, if I remember, that was a strike shortened season. So potentially, yes, you could have, you could have won the seventh. So I think, the, I think a lot of the anger comes from Kraus and, and Reinsdorf and the organization never admitting the fault that we, we should have kept the team together. We should have kept Phil here. We should have helped Scotty out. And frankly, for all the, the genius of Kraus in that era, he was still the GM after that era. And let's remind the people of the 2025 Ring of Honor inductee, Tim Floyd. <laughs> all right wait are you done <laughs> that was a pretty good ending that was a touche uh and there's really nothing i can say it was a brutal body blow um from pushner uh yeah and uh so i'll go back to what i said about uh jerry Krause. he in many ways is a tortured individual who's his own worst enemy carried on resentments and grudges for years and years i'm telling you I put this in my story. I've never seen an organization that carried so many grudges. And as I put in my story, my late mother, may she rest in peace, would have fit in well with the Chicago Bulls because no one could hold a grudge like my mom except for Jerry Krause, Michael Jordan, Scottie Pippen. Uh, and uh, I completely agree with you. Uh, the, the, um, the declaration from Jerry Krause at the start of the season that this is the last dance and every, if no matter what, <clears throat> Phil Jackson will be fired was absurd. And I and I do blame this on Jerry Reinsdorf because he was the one in charge and he should have told Jerry Krause, uh-uh, you go say, undo the damage you've done unless Jerry Krause was repeating something that Jerry Reinsdorf told him to say. Yeah, There's absolutely. always that. We'll never know. Reinsdorf, absolutely. Right in Reinsdorf in the last dance, sitting around defending, never, never condemning that, right? He's, he's never said, he kind of supports Krause and never says they did the wrong thing, right? Yeah. And um, so uh, and uh, the decision to hire Tim Floyd was absolutely one of the worst decisions the Chicago Bulls have made in terms of coaching. Uh, only I say right behind it is the decision <laughs> to hire Fred Hoiberg uh, to run the team in 2000. Another guy from Iowa State. Can't blame Jerry Krause for that one. Uh, and uh, so I'm agreeing with you. Uh, they're a terrible decision. Uh, as for disrespecting Scott. Uh, as for breaking up the Bulls, this is where fans are inconsistent. So follow me when I'm about to tell you, Pusher. Um, what Jerry Krause did when he broke up the Bulls to put the best possible spin on it is what so many fans wanted our tourists to do this year. Break up the team. You take a, you take a look at your what you've got. You make a determination of whether it can get you the the ultimate goal of winning a championship, or should you tank? And he chose tank. He, by the definite, by, if you were going by what fans want the Bulls to do, he should be heralded as a hero for that alone. That They, they should name a street after him. I know so many fans who for years have been telling me, break up the Bulls, trade everybody. I don't care what you get. 
get a draft choice, collect assets. They don't even view them as human beings. And this gets back to your Scotty Pippen thing. This is where fans are inconsistent. Fans don't look at DeMar DeRozan and see a human being with a family that lives in Chicago. They see an asset. Trade him. We can't let him go for nothing. You, you, <laughs> what is this, slavery? I mean, you're not. it's not nothing. He gave you five great years. It's not nothing. This attitude of fa- trade him now. How many times have you heard trade him, get rid of him, you're going to get nothing. So Jerry Krause was just ahead of his time in tanking. I hate tanking. I hate it now. I hated it then. I was really upset at Jerry Reinsdorf and Krause for tanking effectively. And then they try to untank. I don't know if when the public opinion was against them, you remember that they did that little pivot, like, well, let's bring them all back. They hired, they announced that Tim Floyd would be their coach, but they would reserve the right to bring Phil Jackson back for one year. It was so bad. It was, they just looked, made a bad, took a bad scene and made it worse. Uh, now, in terms of Scotty Pippen, Scotty, Scotty Pippen signed a contract. Okay. That uh, contract resulted in him playing for less than his value. He signed a long-term con- con- contract for less than his value. If Jerry Reinsdorf or and Jerry Crow was really Reinsdorf's decision, ripped up that contract because it was the right thing to do and gave Scottie Pippen more money, fans would be howling. Why, you ask? Because that would impact the salary cap. And then they wouldn't be able to get other players. And then fans would be saying, that's Reinsdorf. He's too loyal to the people who play for him, which is an accusation that goes against Jerry, Jerry Reinsdorf all the time. If I heard it once, I've heard it a million times. He's too loyal to Jerry Krause. He's too loyal to Kenny Williams. You know, he's, he's too loyal to whatever manager he has uh, appointed to run a team. Hawk Harrelson, et cetera, and so forth. And they was because he gave Scottie Pippen more money. Now we can't, I don't know, we can't sign Dennis Rodman. We can't re sign Tony Kukoc. We are limited. Our hands are tied. See, that's fans, man. Fans will make any argument on any given day, even if it completely contradicts what they were saying the day before. And so, yeah, it would have been nice had Jerry Reinsdorf ripped up that contract and given Scottie Pippen a raise. I don't see any fan anywhere, though, that would advocate uh, the the Bulls doing that if it would impede their ability to get other players, at which point they would be calling Reinsdorf an idiot. So bottom line, Pushker, Bulls fans are, this is the point of, the, of my whole dissertation today. Bulls fans, they're like emblematic of human beings in general. And you should know this because your main profession is a diplomat and trying to get irrational people to do a logical thing. <laughs> that is, that's what Pushker does in his day job, ladies and gentlemen. You're trying to get irrational people to sign on to something that they're like, will probably abandon the next day because they don't have any fixed beliefs or principles. They only have raw emotions on how they feel at this very moment. And so they're mad at Reinsdorf if he shows loyalty to players or coaches, and then they're mad at him if he doesn't show loyalty to coaches. If you're Jerry Reinsdorf, what are you to make of that? 
Well, no. Well, I've got an interesting way to kind of uh, connect these points here because we're we're talking that we started by talking about the current team, which where are we going, and what are we doing here, and then we talked. You know, we took the historic look at the '90s teams and how that ended, and I think there's a major through line here, which is the you know the culture of the team, right? And you know, I was um, very critical of Kraus and that culture, um, but I think we should also take a look back. And, and look at that culture that post Kraus remained, right? And I'm going to point out two or three major follies uh, of the team since. One, for example, I don't know, the treatment of one Tom Thibodeau <laughs> when he was thrown out the door after five years of, uh, of fostering, constructing, building the greatest team the city has seen, greatest basketball team the city has seen since. Uh, you know the 90s, um, and and I have uh, you know the statement Reinsdorf released pulled up here because they literally uh, they stomped on Thibodeau on the way out and they threw him out right and and of course your fans will remember that Tom Thibodeau is now leading the New York Knicks towards the playoffs not not uh, a run to the playoffs they will be in the playoffs and there's talk that they might make it you know Eastern Conference championship game, you know, and I think that's realistic. Um, and they're making a lot of smart moves, bringing smart players in on wise contracts. So they're doing a lot of great things there. Um, so, so Thibodeau, letting Thibodeau go, fucking idiotic. Again, I talk about bringing a coach in, establishing a culture, and letting, and, and you know, like Mike Tomlin at the Steelers, or Popovich um, in San Antonio, you bring in a very high-quality coach, and you give them reign to to win, you know, long-term contract and give them control of the team. So I think uh, they messed it up with Phil um, by bringing in Tim Floyd. We brought, messed it up with Thibodeau uh, by bringing in, as you pointed out, Mayor Fred Hoiberg. Um, and what, 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 what that, that to me, again, speaks to an organizational cultural issue. It's not cross both times, right? So I, I think that's a question of Ryan's name, right? A second quick point there, if you remember that the Bulls brought in Scotty Pippen, one Scotty Pippen Hall of Famer, um, to be an ambassador for the team. And, of course, they let him walk out the door pissed and aggravated and irritated at the end. They didn't treat him. This is a smart move to bring him back, smart move to have him as ambassador of the team. Uh, but then you can't just let that fizzle and him be angry. You know, I remember his quote was something like, I only like to be, I, I like to be an ambassador for winning teams. I like to be associated with winning franchises. It's something, you know, that he that attacked the team on his way out the second time. And finally... Speaking of culture and stupid decisions, the fact that they let Jim Boylan lead this team for a year, essentially, when you had a very young team, impressionable team, where you wanted them to establish a winning culture, you want to get the most out of them, get a sense of who you had on the team, a.k.a. Laurie Markkinen, Wendell Carter Jr., players who are no longer on this team are doing exceptionally well elsewhere. So, so these kind of moves, to me, speak to, uh, you know, what is the common denominator here? I'll blame Reinsdorf because that's the easiest thing to do. But it creates that culture where they're not um, they're not establishing a winning culture, a, a loyal culture, a culture where people are respected, a culture where people have time, and a culture where you're you're helping um, foster you know visionaries or, or you know talented folks. So again, to bring that to this moment, it seems to me the only defense of Karnishevitz and, and Eversley right now is that they're trying to establish this winning culture, right? Because as you pointed out, a lot of people are calling for tearing it down. I'm not necessarily calling for that. You know, 
getting rid of Drummond and Caruso and um, Levine and um, DeRozan, uh, Pat Williams. People are talking about trading everybody, right? So if you're not going to tear it down and start from scratch and try to be Oklahoma City or something like that, I do believe um, the sense of establishing winning culture is not a bad idea. And I'm, I'm, I love DeMar DeRozan. I really do. I love Caruso. I love Drummond. I love Kobe White. I love a lot of the people they have on the team. Do I recognize that it's not going anywhere now? We're not gonna, we're not gonna win a playoff a series. True, but at least what I'm seeing with Donovan um, as well is that these appear to be a number of folks who are professional, level-headed. Even Levine, when he demanded a trade, at least did it in a reasonable way, right? He, he didn't pull a James Harden um, to get himself out the door. So I think. They're establishing this culture of it's an incredible franchise. Uh, you know, I think uh, Don C. Uh, Bulls, I think he's like the fashion designer for the team. I think he's he pointed out one of his interviews. He said the Bulls logo is more iconic than the, the NBA logo. Like you will recognize the globally, people will recognize the Bulls logo before they'll recognize the NBA logo. That's a great point. And so the concept of, of bringing pride and, and respect to the team is, I think, a very smart move. Um, and, and keeping DeMar around. For example, DeMar is a Hall of Famer, I believe. Keeping him around, letting him retire here, letting him go, kind of ride off in the sunset as this kind of elder statesman of the team, setting the culture, um, helping to you know foster the growth of Kobe and Io, hopefully Pat Williams. I think that makes a lot of sense to, to keep him around. Vucevic gets not a lot of credit on this also. I actually think I find him to be a professional he took a team-friendly deal uh, to stay on for three years in the extension. Uh, I really find he gets a lot of hate. I don't think he deserves it. Uh, I would like to see them play him and Drummond together with the two bigs. I think that would be very interesting, uh, two very passionate guys side by side. So this this uh, professionalism culture, I see it here. So I can that's the thing that I can understand for, for this moment. And I'm going to take you to the last spot of this which is to say when you establish that kind of winning culture and uh, a respectful team, uh, all eyes are on the Bulls, the, 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 the country uh, and the, the NBA is, is better off when the Bulls are good. The NBA is so much more fun. And that attracts big-time names. You might be able to convince somebody, don't you want to win here? Don't you want to carry on the shoes? Be the next MJ because nobody's done it. D-Rose did it for a moment. But can anyone be that next MJ and be that iconic? And let me say, Ben, I spent three and a half years living in, in Eastern Europe, in the Western Balkans, in Kosovo. Very familiar with that part of basketball cradle of civilization, if you will. But what I'm saying is, you, your, your listeners may know this or they may not, but Chicago is a huge Balkan city, right? Huge Eastern European city, has huge you know, former Yugoslavia communities right here. And out there, it's known as a hub, right? Everyone out there loves Chicago, knows Chicago, has got family out here. So those guys might be, or players of that heritage, might be very comfortable being in Chicago. They don't care about the cold. They know the cold. They love the cold. They might be happy being here. And so who am I pointing towards, of course? We know that Arturis Karnasovic came from uh, Denver. We know that Jokic is going to win a few championships out there, but hey, maybe he gets bored and he wants to he wants to start to feel like he's at home again. Um, obviously, Luka Doncic as well. So these types of huge, huge, huge uh, catches 
uh, are some things, of course, Giannis has been on the record on this too. Greek town here. He's been on the record saying, oh, in Chicago, oh, you're always interested, you know? So the sense of you build a winning culture with people like DeRozan, maybe Billy Donovan as well, where people say, ah, that franchise has it together. It's not a basket case as it has been. And wow, they've got some pieces there together. Maybe if I just, you know, if, if I go there, I can take them over the top. So that's where I can see the potential of this going. You know, it's 5 or 10% chance, but that's the way I can see it going. All right. Uh, and uh, I'm going to respond, and then we're going to uh, – I'm going to switch gears uh, to get your thoughts and stuff before we close it down. So, number one, I to- let me start with the things I totally agree with you on before I take down uh, the points I disagree with you on. Uh, the era of uh, management in the Chicago Bulls history from roughly 2015 uh, until uh, uh, Arturis was hired in 2020 was perhaps the worst stretch in Bulls history of bumbling, inept moves that made no sense. And you're absolutely correct to point out to Fred Hoiberg and Jim worse than Fred Hoiberg was hiring Boylan. So it's like as bad as Hoiberg was, Boylan was worse. Will not argue. Could not bring myself to buy a season ticket. Like I thought about it because I'm a diehard. I love going with my friends to the games, talking this and that, having a great time. But they were so bad. I would, after having said that, argue that this stretch with the tourists uh, has... This may be arguably the second best uh, stretch. This guy had a plan. Uh, He went out and got the players he needed to fit his plan. uh, And he hit a roadblock with injuries. And it was no different than what happened with Derrick Rose. Lonzo Ball went down. Uh, Zach Levine has been basically injured for two full years. So... There's nothing you can do in sports when the guy, when the guys you bring in get injured. Now I hear some fans, oh, he should have known better than bring Alonzo Ball. I mean, you guys, fans, will say absolutely anything. They were all cheering when they took him. I did not hear one fan go, I don't know, those knees. It's got me nervous. Fans loved it when he got Derrick Rose. You know, nobody said, oh, his knee could blow out. I don't know. I'm nervous. So fans, stop it. You're so fickle and weird. You completely contradict yourself. You're like a Chicago voter. You say one one thing and then you vote for a mayor does the exact opposite. So that's why I say the Bulls are fans are parables. Not just Bulls fans in general, sports fans. I mean, not just Bulls fans, limited sports fans. Um, Now, as to the Knicks, this infatuation that uh, young Chicagoans have with the New York Knicks, I don't understand. Number one, you complain about Jerry Reinsdorf. Jerry Reinsdorf is angel compared to the man who owns the Knicks. This is one of the most despicable human beings in sports. This is a man who sent the police on Charles Oakley. I could go on for an hour. I could go on for an hour. Spike Lee too, but, right? Didn't he, like, he wouldn't let Spike in or whatever. There's a, there's a, there's he wouldn't let Spike, Spike yeah, to, to the player's entrance. But Charles Oakley, just for the uninitiated, is one of the greatest Knicks of the last 30 years. He used to be a bull who's traded to the Knicks, who's the heart and soul of those Knicks teams in the 90s that gave the Bulls fits. He um, is just truly, in my opinion, one of the great players uh, in the NBA. I love Charles Oakley. I loved him when he was on the Knicks. He plays with such heart. He plays with such spirit. Uh, he's all about the winning team. And he's funny as hell in interviews afterwards. He just, I love, I can't say enough about Charles Oakley. 
James uh, Dolan is the man, the gazillionaire who owns the Knicks. He's having a feud with Oakley. Oakley came to a game, uh, and he had the police arrest Oakley. They put him on the floor, ladies and gentlemen, and handcuffed him and took him out. And you know what? There's a curse on the Knicks because of that. You can't treat. You talk about treating Scottie Pippen without respect. Man, that's nothing compared to arresting a guy, handcuffing a guy, walking him out, humiliating him, and barring him from entry to Madison Square Garden. So he's a despicable human being. Now, but somehow or other, this this newfound love for the Knicks overlooks that. Behavior that if it was Reinsdorf, people would be screaming. Say what you will about Jerry Reinsdorf. He never had Scottie Pippen handcuffed. All right. Number two, Tom Thibodeau. And this is going to really be painful what I'm about to say, Pushker. The most overrated coach in the NBA is Tom Thibodeau. See, I lived through those Bulls years. I watched the Bulls year after year choke. <laughs> The pressure they felt. They were confronting that post-Jordan era. Like they could feel the spirit of Jordan hanging over them, watching them, and like judging them. And they couldn't take it. 2011, they made it to the finals at the home of the conference. They had home court advantage. They had a young, healthy Derrick Rose. Game five, need I remind you, nobody wanted to shoot the ball. I'm scared. You shoot it. I don't want it. I'm not going to make it like Michael Jordan. They lose. Next year, 2012, Derrick Rose goes down. They're still the number one seeded team playing the eight seeded. Make an adjustment. Hello? <laughs> they lost. Oh, I can still remember. I can, it's painful. Game six in Philadelphia. We see Jay Watson passing the ball to uh, the big Turk. Why? Because he was afraid he was going to get fouled and have to go to the free throw line. They were always afraid. Tom Thibodeau, like, has him so uptight and tense and nervous. And then the worst choke of this century, game six in Chicago against Cleveland. And it's a Cleveland team that is without Kyrie Irving and with Kevin Love may have been playing, but he was limping around. The Bulls got blown out. Matthew Dellavedova scored over 20 points torched Derrick Rose in that game. By the way, Jimmy Butler was on the court. I didn't see him hitting any big shots in that game. Why? Because they get so nervous. The coach doesn't have the ability to put him at ease. That was the great thing about Phil Jackson, Pushker. He can kind of put him at ease. It's all, it's, it's a process. We can do this. They were doing yoga and Zen and breathing. Every coach has his, has his style for putting a team at ease. They get so nervous with Thibodeau because Thibodeau is like, Ugh. this is what Bulls fans, Bulls fans would think Thibodeau is a good coach. All they like is a coach that yells at players. Uh, I'm, a, I'm Thibodeau. <laughs> that's not coaching. That's yelling. So Knicks fans, I got bad news for you. The Chicago Bulls have a better chance of winning one round of the playoff this year than the Knicks have been making the Wow, I'm here. writing that down. I'm writing that down. Right Write it down, baby. The New York Knicks. <laughs> I'm so scared. So I do not envy the New York, being a New York. Well, first of all, I cannot stand the New York Knicks. That's a whole other thing. All right. Before we officially uh, switch topics, is there anything that you want to add? Because I always believe in giving my guests the final word. 
Yeah, I mean, uh, the Lonzo Ball question you raised is one thing, right? He got dealt a, you know, the, whatever, thrown a curveball, Lonzo got hurt, all this. One thing that I've never seen or heard answered is, where the F is the backup to Lonzo, right? You knew Lonzo was out last year. You had an offseason. You had a trade up. Where's the where's the starting point guard then? Like where? Why didn't they make a move at any period of time to get somebody who had Lonzo's skills, something similar to that? Yeah, because they constantly hear Lonzo was supposed to be the critical linchpin to make all of this fit together and work. And I haven't seen them get somebody who could do that, which is a shock. Um, I want to go on the record and remind all our listeners in the Kobe White uh, renaissance here, this incredible moment because it's been very smart. Kobe could have walked in the offseason and brought him back. Very smart move. But I do want to hold them accountable and say they didn't draft Kobe White. He's not the guy they drafted. It was a Pax, that was a Gar Pax draft, uh, draft pick. And instead, you know, the 2020 draft was the COVID draft. But I, I will go on the record to remind all of us uh, a certain young player, Tyrese Halliburton, certain other player, Tyrese Maxey, and another, um, there's a third one I'm missing here, two players that went way after Patrick Williams, right? And I'm not one to, to get on the hating Patrick Williams bandwagon because I think. Um, you can tell that that is affecting his life. <laughs> I mean, you can see that he's just stressed out of his mind with all the hate he's getting. So I'm not gonna, not gonna, you know, jump on that bandwagon and, and hate on Patrick Williams. I want him to do well. I hope he does well. I wish him a happy and healthy future. But I will look at the people who drafted him in the wrong fourth overall, um, and to say that, um, that's not working out as, as they had hoped it would. Um, so I like, as you said, I think this is an era of stability. They're making smart moves. Uh, well, they're making, there's a logic to the moves they're making. Um, there's a professionalism in the culture. I'll give them credit for all that. But at the same time, we have to see things coming from the draft, right? You need to, uh, we need younger talent. They need to have good draft picks and not trade them all away. And make the right trades. I mean, there are a number of these guys, Dale and Terry, uh, Julian Phillips, I believe. Um, a number of these guys who honestly like haven't turned on to anything. And that's and that's very surprising that the last couple of years um, picks aren't really significant parts of the rotation. I'll criticize them. Well, all right. Uh, I, I you always there's a lot I could rebut, but as I said. I always give my guests the last word. Well, an hour about it at another time. Now we'll close by uh, changing the conversation for a very briefly to get your thoughts on this. So your profession, uh, as we said, you're basically a professional diplomat. Uh, you go into tense scenes uh, uh, where there's, um, to put it mildly, strong differences, and you try to find a solution. Uh, and that's a very noble profession. So. Uh, that said, do you in any way think uh, there's a credible justification for paying, taking public dollars that could go for everything from schools to mental health clinics to repairing roads to hiring police, if that's what your thing is, to... Uh, economic development in poor neighborhoods, taking those tax dollars and using them to build uh, 
playing fields for the Bears uh, and the White Sox, which are two prominent deals on the table right now. Do you see any justification for that? Go. Uh, public money, no. I mean, literally, there's there's no justification for that. Um, if these owners want to spend their own money, get their own loans if they need to, on their very um, impressive assets that they have, if they can finance it themselves, I think it's a different question. Totally finance it themselves. And I still don't think we would be... I, I still don't see the logic of justifying new stadiums when you literally have stadiums, right? I, I can, I can, I can look, and these stadiums are still being paid off by, you know, paid for by us, the people. Continue to be paying for uh, guaranteed rate field and and soldier field renovation. So, I, of course, the first uh, place to start would be if you want to renovate those places further. You know, uh, soldier field, for example, we talk about covering dome and all this kind of stuff. Let's talk about that. And again, I would say they should fund it themselves because they have the money and assets to raise the, that that month that um, um, to raise those funds to make those changes. Um, it's um, grossly irresponsible um, to be even considering these things and uh, taking away oxygen and air about looking at other issues. We're talking about building things. I don't know why we're not talking about building mental health. Uh, facilities or housing, um, um, affordable housing. These are like critical things if we're going to talk about construction and what we can do and what we can be using the people's resources for. Um, and I know you like to point out that students are still running indoor track in the hallways of their schools. So why, why can't we start with, start with those uh, those points? Um, but again, I'll point out that thing. Both of these, I mean, the team... Uh, the White Sox might be trying to distract us from the horrible um, failures of recent years. An incredible team that they put together and systematically destroyed by putting La Russa in charge for two years. Oh let Jim Anderson watch. What, oh, what the fuck? Liam Hendricks literally got beat cancer and they cut his ass. Like, what are we thinking, guys? You had iconic players. Those two in particular. You had a lot of fan momentum and energy. People like that team. Let them lose, okay. I mean, give them give them the right coach. Let them win. Give them a chance. Abreu, they let them uh, let them walk. You had an incredible core. You still have a pretty good core, but um, I think this is a distraction, frankly. Uh, Ryan Zorf, does, you know, he's got that failure on, you know, that stink stench of failure. He doesn't want us talking about that and criticizing him. So he's talking about okay, a brand new thing. Uh, well, we'll we'll close by me saying I agree with you 100% on that riff. Uh, so there's no reason for me even to have a comeback. I'll just add one thing to that White Sox riff, and I'm a big White Sox fan as well, uh, not hiring Ozzy again. And uh, that still burns me uh, for being manager this, uh, for this last season. I think at the very least it would have been a heck of a lot more entertaining with Ozzy uh, as manager. And, and post-game press conferences would have been a blast to watch or listen to. And I would have – it doesn't take much to win me over. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> last year was so dreadfully boring that I could not – my buddy Adolfo and I would go to games and we were like, do we want to sit through this? <laughs> do we want to sit through this eighth and ninth inning? I don't know. Boy, it would be fun to go get something to eat, and which is unthinkable for me to leave a game early, but that's how bad they were. All right, Pushkar, this was a blast uh, debating with you, and uh, you take as well as you give, and uh, so I appreciate that, allowing me 
my chances to make my points. Uh, I've had a guess or two interrupt and you didn't. So thank you very much for being on the show. We're going to bring you back again. We'll probably talk international issues. Uh, Pushkar's got a lot to say. Uh, about Gaza and the war in, uh, in the Middle East between Israel and the Palestinians. Uh, just a lot of issues that uh, you can discuss besides sports. So we'll probably mix it up with you as a guest. Some sports, some international diplomacy, uh, and some local politics. Are you agreeable to all that? Wonderful. Thank you guys so much for making the time. Inviting me. All right. Very good. I want to thank Pushkar. Uh, and uh, everybody, take care. Peace and love. <laughs>